Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 62 and I'm Brooke McCallery. And I'm Ben McCallery. How are you? Very good. That's good. So. 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 Number 62. Mm. Who is going to grace, grace our ears? Uh, Dr. Christine Walker. Actually. Dr. Christine Walker. Dr. You've Christine had a couple Walker. of doctors on before. I have. Yep. I've spoken with a neuroscientist. What's Dr. Christine Walker a doctor of? She's a, a physical therapist, a PT. Okay. And she's based in one of the Carolinas. Um, and she actually reached out to me on Twitter a f- couple of months ago and was asking me about, you know, the idea of slow medicine and what I, I if I had any thoughts on it. And she was just an awesome, fascinating, interesting person to talk to, to read about. And then I, you know, obviously it was a no-brainer to sit down and chat to her. So what is, how does that play into the sort of slow living? Uh, well, in this, in this instance, piece. we yeah. talk a lot about what it means to adopt slow lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, mindfulness, yoga, nutrition, that kind of stuff into a hectic, stressed kind of life and right. what impact that has on people physically and then what also impact that has on them mentally. Mentally. So it's it's really fascinating. I mean Christine talks about her personal story and you know it's one of very, very similar to mine. Sure. One of complete overwhelm and, you know, perfectionism and all that kind of stuff and how she came to a, a moment where she realized she had to make a, a huge shift for her own sake, for the sake of her family. And uh, you know, from her foundation and her background as a PT she was in a perfect position to mm. kind of look at and see how that those those changes can impact us both from her personal point of view but then from a wider like a wider general population kind of perspective as well so it was such an interesting conversation i really enjoyed it did you talk about what sort of client she has yeah she talks about that quite a bit yeah. actually she has a private practice but then she also works in the hospital as yeah. well so she does talk about that and talks about the challenges that that a lot of her clients face um, but she also talked, it's really kind of an interesting insight into the American healthcare system as well, because, um, you know, she talks about how she likes to opt for a one-on-one kind of consultation if she can and yeah. if her clients want to. But the system is set up for kind of more group consultations, which is, you know, just gets people through. Yeah. And it's kind of the antithesis of slow, slow whereas course. she's adopted that into her, the way she administers her business as well, which I found yeah. really interesting. Like she's taken everything and turned it on its head so i thought that was a that was something that i could have explored more with her as well because she's basically running her business like a slow business um and it's it's having an amazing impact on people as well very cool it is very cool she was a she's a really a really lovely lady i like her accent too (laughs) yeah Southern accent. Yeah. So, as always, the show notes to this podcast are on slowyourhome.com forward slash 62. Where can people go to find out more information about the good doctor? She has two websites. Uh, DrWalkerPT.com is her practice and people can find out how to you know, schedule a consultation, all that kind of stuff. She sure. gives lots of really fascinating background into what she does and why she does it. Uh, and then she also has a blog, which she writes with a friend of hers called thesimplemamas.com. Um, and there's some really interesting posts in there about med- meditation, which uh, Christine talks about in the conversation. So I would definitely recommend you check that out Very too. Good. Uh, if you wanted to connect with her on Twitter, she's just at Dr. Walker PT as well. 
and of course audible.com have uh, have been our long-term partner they have haven't they <laughs> they really have and as always you can go for a free trial uh, by following the going to the following address which is audible.com no audibletrial.com audibletrial.com forward slash slow slow. and you can get yourself a free month's subscription and a free audiobook as well if you use that link do people say forward slash anymore is that just me I know well sometimes I say it and then I know someone else who says backslash but I don't don't actually know which one is what is it a forward slash or a backslash it leans forward I don't use a backslash I don't know Anyway, um, these are the big issues. Tackling the big questions here on the Slow Home Podcast. Enjoy this podcast. Hey, Christine. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm so well. Thank you so much for uh, for sitting down and talking to me. Well, I'm very excited to be part of the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. I think we've got a lot to talk about and um, I'm really excited to dig into this topic of slow medicine and, uh, you know, the medicine that you practice. But before we get into that, can I just ask you to tell me just a, a little about yourself, you know, who you are and what you do. And then from there, we're just going to dive into to the medicine side of it and your, your personal story as well. Sure. So I am um, a physical therapist in the United States. I think in Australia, maybe you guys call them physios. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, so, well, most of the world, I think, calls them physios. We're the, we're the ones going by physical therapists over here. So um, I am, um, which means I have a doctoral degree in physical therapy and I have been, um, so I've been practicing for about four years and I live in North Carolina. So the middle of the East coast. And, um, I primarily work with youth athletes and active adults in my private practice, but I also do still, still spend some time Um, filling in at a local children's hospital as well. So working with patients that are staying in the hospital. So I have a kind of a unique and diverse background in that sense that I'm working with a lot of different populations. Um, And I also recently trained as a professional yoga therapist with a fantastic program. It's the only program in the world, actually, that's training for yoga therapists that's um, only trains healthcare professionals. And, um, that's called professional yoga therapy. And luckily it's actually run out of my own state at the beach. It's a beautiful, beautiful, um, long, long-term course, the thing you do over a significant period of time. And so my background is now kind of physical therapy, yoga, um, and a little bit of learning how to live slowly and do medicine slowly. Um, I, I love that just as a, like a side note, um, the, the program that, engages medical professionals and healthcare professionals with yoga uh, because I think still people see them as as not necessarily opposing and they're certainly not but you know they're sort of on the other two opposite ends of the spectrum in a lot of people's minds so I think that must be really interesting absolutely and um, I think that's what 
we're coming to realize in medicine is that Western medicine, generally speaking, does a really good job of helping people like in acute emergencies. And um, we have we just have really good care when it comes to like if you you know if you get in trouble. Um, we can really take care of you and have a lot of great life-saving techniques. But um, where Western medicine is really lacking is in a lot of the preventative care and more of the holistic care. And so looking to use yoga as one of the ways of blending in those elements, kind of merging Eastern and Western medicine to really improve our healthcare system um, is, is the goal of the program. And so mm-hmm. actually it's, it's um, gained a lot of recognition, like, I've, every time I went and had classes there, I, there were always um, some Canadian students, and I know the the um, lead teachers just recently did some courses in England and um, the UK, and so it's growing, and I'm excited to see where where it grows as kind of a movement, as yoga being part of of medicine. So. Um. And have you always practiced? Like, have you practiced yoga for a long time before you started the training? You know, it's funny. My relationship with yoga has been very um, up and down and hit or miss. I, in high school, for some reason, um, it just started to interest me. I, um, my mom took me on a tour of an integrative medical center that opened up at one of the um, really well-known universities in our state, uh, highly respected medical school. So it was kind of a, um, a surprise per se back 15, 20 years ago when they opened up a a huge uh, integrative medicine facility. And my mom took me on a tour and I kind of started to get interested in alternative medicines. And so I dabbled. I, you know, at that, that time I went to the library and checked out some books on yoga and kind of tried to teach it myself. But I've always had some back pain. And um, anytime I tried to do yoga, my back would just hurt. And I couldn't figure out how to do it for my body. Um, so when I went to PT, I kind of gave up on it and went to PT school and some of my friends got into the power vinyasa, you know, um, hot yoga. That's really popular here in the United States right now. And, um, I, I gave it a try and I, I liked it. It still seemed really slow for me because I, I was an athlete. I was a soccer player. I, I very much like high, I loved high, um, fast, high pace, go, go, go. That was pretty much my whole life, Not, you know, on and off the soccer field. So the idea of doing yoga and slowing down was really um, challenging mm-hmm. and <laughs> and actually not appealing. I was kind of doing it because my friends were doing it. and um, But I, I did. I thought it was interesting. And I was in PT school, so I could kind of start to see how, hey, this could be really good from a therapy perspective, but how do we make this all work? And so my curiosity was really piqued. Um, so I, I once again, it was more like a dabble, a season of dabbling in yoga. And then I, um, I kind of lost it again for a few years and I, I tried to get back into it by doing some continuing ed courses, but none of them were taught by physical therapists. And I really wanted something that was grounded in, um, being really safe from a biomechanical, which is what we call like our structure and our alignment in our body. So really being aware of our body's tissues and our body's limits and doing yoga within those limits. So, because unfortunately we see a lot of people in PT who get injured, especially in back, with their back from yoga, Mm -hmm. um, from trying to push things too far. Um, And so I um, stumbled across this program with a good friend of mine who's also a physical therapist, and we completed most of it together. And um, 
just really loved that it was it was written from a healthcare perspective and um it really opened I mean opened the doors I could all of a sudden do yoga even with my back and hip issues which I nobody had ever been able to tell me how to do that before um yoga is always somewhat painful in some ways right so from a physical perspective it opened up a lot of doors and then from um in the program, we only consider the physical to be one of the five elements of, of yoga, really, of um, what we're trying to achieve, like, say, with a client or a patient. So the physical is only one aspect. And so we really – I started looking, getting more and more into the other aspects of yoga as well, like the mindfulness and the meditation part and the nutrition behind it and um, – learning a lot of other parts as well. And, um, it just was the right thing for me at the right time of life. And it's been part of me learning to slow down and to change, um, my daily habits and how I view my health and how I work with my own clients and patients, um, as well. Not just, even though I'm a physical therapist or physiotherapist, that, that doesn't mean that the other parts that you don't think about like nutrition or, even your stress levels, how they impact um, the healing process of your physical problem as well. So um, really tying all those things together it was is what the program did for me. Right. So, I mean, there's so much that I want to dig into that you've just, <laughs> that you've just spoken about. But, um, you know, you kind of alluded to a time where uh, you weren't, you know, being – mindful of of the pace of your life was there was there like a moment or a time in your life where that sort of acted as the catalyst I guess for you shifting into a slower um, more intentional kind of pace of life absolutely so like I said growing up I was pretty much the in my mind at least trying to be the model of efficiency and productivity and I did not know how to be still I mean, at all. (laughs) And it's no exaggeration asking any of my family growing up. They just talk about how I was all over the place. Um, I was just very active and liked to be active. But what I didn't realize at the time was I was really just wearing myself down and then would go through these periods of crashing where my body just couldn't do anything. Um, You know, whether that appealed appeared like a little minor illness or stomach ache here or there, I would just go until my body just said no more and it wasn't a healthy balance. Um, so after the birth of my first child, which unfortunately was preceded by 13 weeks of bed rest, um, which was extremely mentally taxing. If you can think of this person who's going all the time and then all of a sudden they're told to lay down on their side pretty much 23 hours a day for 13 weeks, you know, um, it's a big reality check. Um, at the time, I would say, I mean, it was definitely physically challenging. At the time, it was more mentally challenging mm. um, as well. But, um, you know, after the birth of my daughter, I kind of thought, oh, I'll bounce back. I'll want to do all these things again. I'll be so eager to get going. And not only was I just mentally exhausted and drained, but I was physically, you know, couldn't really walk up and down the street very well anyway because I was just so deconditioned. So it was a bad combination of prolonged period of time difficult, um, you know, difficult psychological and physical health. Um, so after the birth of my daughter, I pretty much hit rock bottom and, um, had my own postnatal complications as well. Um, so that pretty much, I remember those nights being up feeding my daughter, 
and I eventually stumbled upon it. It was either Joshua Becker or Leo um, Barbachua's blog, and then and then actually that led to your blog as well. Um, wow. And started, yeah, yeah, you you were one of them as well. So I started reading, and and it, it made me realize, oh my gosh, like you mean I don't have to live life the way I was living? You mean everybody doesn't live that way? I think I was just so oblivious to the fact that. Um, I did. I didn't have to live life that way. I, I didn't know that, and um, it really took me being brought to my knees after the birth of my daughter to to realize that I could change. Now that didn't mean it was easy to change. Um, it started with just exploring the idea, and then it came down to a necessity, like for me physically and mentally to recover. I had to admit that I couldn't handle life and do life the way I was doing before. It's just not possible um, anymore. And my body, my body can't do it. Um, and so that was a tough, tough realization, um, with a lot of guilt, honestly, a lot of guilt thinking like, why, why can't I do what, you know, seemingly the rest of the world is doing, um, running around working 80 hours a week or whatever, you know, whatever crazy standard that's (laughs) being set or you think other people are doing, um, you know, like why, why can't I handle that? Um, so there was a lot of, of guilt to deal with there on um, learning that it was okay to slow down. I think giving myself permission was the hardest part. Um, that was the first step. And so once I started to give myself permission to slow down, um, it led to a lot of changes. So it led to, um, I think the, where I started was like a lot of people, I started wanting to declutter everything. I just wanted to get rid of stuff, um, get rid of baggage, get rid of things in my environment that were maybe causing me more stress than they needed to just because they were there. Um, or they reminded me I needed to do something or <laughs> et cetera. Um, so I started with a lot of decluttering, but then also I felt like I had to do a lot of um, mental decluttering as well learning to let things go, learning to um, really make uh, make priorities and, and say no to things and not just do everything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, hearing so many commonalities <laughs> in our stories. Yeah. Yeah. Taking, you know, making um, – and, of course, being a new mom, you're learning so much. Your life has changed anyway. You're trying to figure out how to be a mom too because it's not like that comes with an instruction manual. <laughs> Um, you know, I was trying to return back to work. I wasn't trying to go back full time, but I was trying to go back 20 or 30 hours a week, which is no small chunk of change. And I was just finding that even that it was, I had to put a halt on things for a while. Um, I really did. And I was, um, fortunate to be in a position where, you know, I could do that and still put food on the table at night, but still, I mean, it was, it was definitely a strain, um, to be, I was expecting to go back to work 40 hours a week and I just found out that just wasn't going to happen. I mean, I just, after all I'd been through, it just, I'm, I'm, I wasn't up to it. Mm. Um, and that was really, really a humbling experience. So, um, I, you know, through wonderful counselors, wonderful doctors, wonderful friends, was able to start navigating this time. And and now I see it more as like a journey. I don't see it as something that I'm ever going to say it's over. Um, I think my tendency is always going to be to want to try to live life fast. And and to some degree, I'm going to have to always battle that. Um, And that's okay. I, I, um, so I've, 
that was really the big turning point for me. And so then it, it became a personal journey. But then when I started looking into doing more yoga and um, with major changes in the U.S. in the last few years, we've had some major changes to the healthcare system and insurance companies. And I don't know how much of that makes it to Australia, but um, there's been a lot of change in the healthcare landscape. And so I'd been contemplating um, what I wanted, what I was, how that was going to impact my career and what I was going to do with it. So it kind of all just happened about the same time where I realized, you know, I really want to start incorporating this, these philosophies and these intentional, slow living principles into my business as well. Um, actually, at the time, I didn't have my business, but that's what led to part of the formation of my own private practice. Right. Um, and I mean, yeah. I know you're, you work as a physical therapist, but do you um, specifically offer people like a slow version of that? Is that something that you offer, you know, and you articulate that this is slow, like a slow medicine or a slow um, therapy, or is that just something that you have integrated completely into your practice? Well, so I don't really advertise it with the word slow per se. I guess physical therapy in general, (laughs) whether you're in a traditional setting or a private practice or wherever, generally speaking, it is not quick fix medicine. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so um, sure, you can go take a painkiller for your back pain, but that's not going to cure anything. It's going to just mask the pain. Um, And physical therapy has always kind of been a, a little bit of a harder sell because People are so used to getting results quick, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, well, we may not, you know, I may not get it, you feeling 100% better in 24 hours, but what if I could help you make changes that are going to last a lifetime? Um, and that's, so to some degree, I think physical therapy compared to a lot of the Western medical system is slow to begin with. Um, but how I slowed it down even more was a lot of a lot of clinics here they um, double triple book all their therapists because of the way the insurance model works right now and I um, I didn't want to be a part of that I really wanted to work one-on-one with people so that I could have the time to really talk to them um, not just hand them exercises for their problem but to also look at you know what led us to this problem what you know, what are you doing 24 hours a day that's putting so much stress on your body, whether that's a physical stress and mental stress, you know, whether you're not putting the right fuel, the right nutrition in your body. And by having one-on-one time with patients, um, I'm able to dive into that way more deeper than if I was trying to treat a couple people at one time. I mean, it's just not possible. And I really wanted to be able to have that time to work with patients who really value making lasting changes. So my private practice is really, um, more, I would just say in general, more people are attracted to it because they're looking for that kind of in-depth care. Um, so, and I think that's, um, I mean, that speaks to quality interactions too. You know, you're taking the time to, to kind of dive deep into this with people. And that really is one of the, the elements of living a slower life anyway, you know, taking time to, to connect and to, you know, to build a quality kind of relationship. So I think that's, exactly. a, yeah. That's a perfect example of how you've integrated slow living into your practice as well. Yeah. So I don't really advertise it as say slow per se. I'm not sure if that word would really do well in the market anyway. Yeah, sure. No, I agree. But but I really emphasize the quality um, and the time you're going to get, like the face-to-face time, the hands-on time, 
you're just going to get so much more of my, you're going to get way more of my attention. And because of that, obviously I can't take, you know, hundreds and hundreds of clients. So I also keep a smaller clientele, which means I'm able to focus on each case and, um, within way more detail than I would be able to otherwise. And that's just a time factor. You know, we only have so much time. So, um, I, you know, that's what I emphasize when I'm telling people about it or those elements. Mm. I mean, I love that. I think it's just you just embodying not only in what you're you're helping people with, but in the way that you've structured your business, you're embodying slow living. I think that's that in itself is really inspiring too to go from, you know, and and working in a in a an industry where, like you say, you know, people are double and triple booked, and it's just rush, 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 and fill everyone in, and you know, get as many people through the door as possible to kind of flip that and go. Well, I'm actually going to spend time with these people and really try and do my best to help them and get to know them and understand them. That is, you know, the epitome of, of doing it in a slow kind of fashion. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's not, not every patient wants all of that and that's fine too. So, but I like being able to offer it for yeah. the people who really want that time and attention. And, um, so far I think they've, you know, the feedback I've gotten is really positive. So, um, you know, I'm yeah. not. I'm not trying to get everybody. I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah. trying, <laughs> trying to find the right people who exactly. want this kind of care. Exactly. So. so, you I mean you touched on it a minute ago? It's something that I would love to dive into a little bit: the relationship between stress and our health or our ill yeah. health. Um, you know, is that something that, as a medical professional, you were always aware of, or did you come to learn that over time? That you know, a stress impacts directly our health you know they they definitely they definitely mention it in school i would say <laughs> <laughs> you know we talk about adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol and oh this is bad for your your stress and bad for your blood pressure and um it gets mentioned but i feel like at least in our my the healthcare system i'm a part of it's not something we always really address because it's way easier not to, mm. honestly. It's way easier than not to try to have a conversation with somebody about, you know, especially when they're coming to you as a healthcare professional. They don't, I mean, the stigma is you're not going to ask them about those things. Honestly, you're going to ask them about their, quote, what they perceive as their problem, their pain. Like, what does stress have to do with my knee pain? They're kind of looking at you a little funny. Even the consumer is. Um, so I think there's a disconnect even in, you know, the medical the, – I mean, we all as healthcare professionals, we know it, but um, honestly, I don't think many of us feel pretty adequately trained to really approach the subject sometimes with patients, depending on our setting. Um, I know it's something I definitely wouldn't have felt comfortable doing like straight out of school. So, um, you know, we, we, we know scientifically that like too much cortisol can lead to immune system suppression and obesity and um, you know, increase your blood pressure and blood sugar levels. And we, we know all those things, but a lot of times it's not brought up when we're talking about interventions for patients. Um, and do you so, think it's not brought up because, um, it's such an, an inbuilt part of life? You know, if, if you said to a patient, yeah. you need to deal with your stress, they just look at you and say, well, what, what can I do about that? That's just my life. You know, do you, is, is that part of the hesitancy, do you think, in approaching it? Or is it simply because we don't have a good enough grasp on it? 
Well, I mean, definitely some of both. I think from my own perspective, I feel way more comfortable talking to people now that I've been through my own, you know, crash, I guess you could say. So like, and I've had to learn ways to come out of it. And one of the, you know, one of the biggest ways for me was, um, I started doing mindfulness training is mostly what I call it. It's essentially meditation, but I started, um, I, I started doing mindfulness training and that was honestly, even after all I'd been through medically and with counseling and everything, that was really the game changer for me. Um, personally, it is what really took me above and beyond and out of what I was going on, going mm-hmm. through. And, um, you know, coming from the person who couldn't sit still for like literally 30 seconds, who is now meditating 20 minutes a day. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's just, I, I can't even believe it myself sometimes when I say it. Um, I'm like, how did I get here? Um, but I, I think a lot of us just don't have a lot of us are still living a pretty stressed life and haven't found our own ways of coping, honestly. And I mean, I was there too. And, um, I think it's hard to talk without your own personal story. Sometimes it's a lot harder to talk about some of those, those issues because they're so much more personal and you really, the other big thing with the medicine is if you haven't had time to connect with your patient, are they really going to listen to you talk about these things? Probably not. Um, cause it's, it's, it's way more sensitive, you know, People, um, people don't relate at this point really in their minds a lot of times how much their stress is impacting their health. And so to tell them that isn't necessarily going to come off the right way. You know, you have to do it very delicately in certain situations. But, um, you know, for me, I've gotten to the point now where for some people I can, I can kind of see the lifestyle habits that are going on and I can start to broach the subject of, hey, would you be willing to try something like some mindfulness training just to just to bring your bring you down and you know once i usually explain some of the science and um, just how just simple impacts it can have on their life i would say at least half the time they're like oh yeah that sounds kind of cool like how do i do this what do what, what do i do and um, having the resources to be able to say here like let's let's try this and i just want you to try it and tell me what you think you know like you can totally disagree with me we're leaving this as an open book but I start a lot, honestly, most patients, myself, when we talk about stress, I just, I start with deep breathing and I tell them all the importance of doing deep breathing on their, on their nervous system, basically. And I tell them how that relates to their pain. And that's usually my entry point to talking to patients about stress is let's see if you can even do a deep breath and here's why it's going to help with your pain. Um, cause usually people are coming to me because something hurts mm. usually not always, but, um, you know, my ankle hurts, my knee hurts, my shoulder hurts. So, um, I'll start talking to them about how the core is their foundation. So we'll look at their core strength and then we'll say, well, let's check out your breathing too. So I kind of ease into it, honestly. Um, and that gives me a chance to really see how, um, how willing patients are to like talk about that too. Cause you, you yeah. never, you just never know what's going on with somebody. <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd, you'd come across all levels of, um, you know, acceptance and skepticism as well in your patients. Mm-hmm. You know, some people would be Absolutely. open to it and other people would, would maybe hear the word mindfulness or, you know, the, the, the fact that you're kind of tying breath with their ankle pain and mm-hmm. they just kind of shut down. So I guess you would have to have a whole range of ways to enter the conversation with people Pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so some I get there really quickly and some I don't. Um, and that's just the way it is. And because I work with pediatrics a lot too, there's a whole nother level. Sure. Um, sometimes that's more, sometimes it's more helping the parents work through their stuff than it is even the kid. <laughs> um, I mean, truthfully. So, um, but also, you know, when you work with pediatrics, if you're doing anything directly with the child, you got to go through the parent first too. Yes. So, yeah. um, there's even more layers to that puzzle. Uh, but I definitely have found most people are pretty open to the idea of trying deep breathing and most people I can make the connection on why it's important to practice this, just even from turning off their fight and flight system, um, and just really decreasing their nervous system response and, um, the sensitivity of it. And, um, so you, most people can, they've heard those words before they can kind of connect the dots and they don't, that doesn't weird them out too much. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, the importance of breath, like, you know, let's say I I come to see you and I'm not asking you to give me a medical assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hypothetically, I come to you um, and I say that I have, you know, really a sore shoulder, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm quite certain that it's from posture of being my computer and, you know, a lot of it's lifestyle. But the first thing that you maybe introduce me to is breath. What, what's the... The, the the benefit medically of me sitting and deep breathing for a few minutes to that actual pain? I mean, what does it do physically to my body? Well, physically, there's a lot of impact on things like heart rate, blood pressure, and like I said, also decreasing your nervous system response. So usually people who are in acute pain are having a little bit of a fight or flight response going on anyway, because every time you get pain, Um, you know, our body's generally trying to avoid pain, um, just out of natural (laughs) instinct. And so, um, usually of course I go over all the things, um, such as, you know, it's great if you've already recognized that your posture at your computer is maybe contributing to your shoulder pain, because I can't tell you how many people don't even pick Mm -hmm. up on that idea. Um, (laughs) I do a lot of like workstation changes and it's amazing how much a different, um, how much that impacts them. I mean, if you think about how many hours you spend a day at your computer, it shouldn't be that surprising. But um, so usually I, I go through all of that. And then um, with the shoulder, you know, if even if it's a postural thing, I can connect that back to your core because really sitting upright, you can't even sit upright if your hips are in the wrong position. So if you, if you try to slump back right now in your chair and have your hips rolled all the way backward, try to get your shoulders up, right? You, you can't even do it. So I think I start to connect the dots for them. I start to say, look, you know, yeah, you're having shoulder pain, but guess what? We're going to look at you from head to toe because, because your sitting posture is actually also related to your hips and your spine and the rest of your back. And so we start kind of going down from there. <laughs> and, um, usually at some point then I'll throw in about how, well, also your sitting posture is related to how strong, your true core muscles are not just your six pack, but the muscles that lay underneath there. And so, um, we'll get into, can you even activate those muscles, which a lot of people can even turn them on. And, um, so we'll start looking at that and, and can you even let your belly rise and fall or are you breathing all up through your chest? If you're breathing all up through your chest and it's really easy to say, well, look at all these muscles you're using up in your shoulder for your shoulder pain too. Um, just from breathing over your chest. And this, this isn't even getting into the whole, you know, physiological mm-hmm. response of breath yet. You know, I'm still, still telling them how it relates to their posture. Um, so I, that's kind of how I would work in with, and with somebody. And then I'd, I'd really watch. I mean, at this point, it's a lot of observation on how they move. 
and how they breathe. And that's going to tell me a lot about their response to things. And, and, you know, when I ask them certain questions, of course, their breathing pattern may change. And that, that gives me more insight into how they're handling like stress or, or their pain at that time or insightful, um, just other little insights like that. So they'll, um, then I get into the talking about the deep breathing and what that it's so important for, and that it will even help decrease your pain by doing it. Um, because it's helping turn off that part of your system that gets overactive. And, um, we don't want to be in that, you know, fight or flight mode all the time. We really don't. And it doesn't, that doesn't help our pain at all. If anything, it increases it. And we know that holding our breath also increases our pain. A lot of us are really susceptible to doing that as well, especially in tense moments or if you're working really hard on something. Um, so I just, I'll relate all those things back to kind of help them see how it's connected. I think that's the biggest thing I'm trying to do is, um, I always joke with patients, you know, that song you sang with your kid that, you know, the hip bones connected to the knee bone and all the way down, right? Well, it's true. Um, it's not just your shoulder. <laughs> we've got other things we've got to look at. So, um, but hopefully it results in decreasing your shoulder pain if that's where the pain's coming. And I think that's the other thing people, I try to help people realize is where do you hold your stress? You know, some people really hold their stress in certain parts of their body, um, you know, and you can see that in examples from everything to people, you know, just really tense shoulders all the time to, um, for me, I like to really hold it on kind of like the inside of my legs. Like I'll cross my legs all the time. And, um, you know, when I'm trying to work or concentrate and I've had to really break that habit cause it's been contributing to a lot of hip pain for myself. So, um, you know, we, we hold our stress places and, mm. and, and talking about that. Cause that people usually can relate to that. They know where they kind of tense up when things are, um, feeling a little heightened. So and I guess I, it's just a matter of like helping people with that awareness and then a what lot of awareness. To do. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hearing when you're talking about it. It's just so much awareness and oftentimes, and partly I guess because we rush through life and we're so busy and torn in, you know, 50 different directions all at once, we lack that awareness as well because we simply just don't feel like we have the time to pay attention um, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. that's exactly. It's a huge part of it, isn't it? Just just stopping for a minute and paying attention and asking ourselves a question of, for example, where am I holding my stress, or am I breathing in my chest or into my belly? Um, exactly. Yeah. And part of that, I created recently just a little acronym, which is on a blog post I did um, a couple weeks ago, just to kind of help you take a mindful moment, like even if that idea sounds really kind of scary, like whether meditation or mindfulness or whatever, just and you can make it as long or as short as you want. But I used the the word spirit and just um, assigned a word to each letter just to kind of help you begin to take a moment, whether that's 30 second run through and it's kind of like a body scan, but it reminds you of some other aspects of well. So, um, just a quick summary. It's talking about like the first S is sensation. So just to notice your, not only, um, your physical sensation, but the sensations you're gathering from the rest of your surroundings and your environment and to just check, you know, do a quick body scan and then to like, just picture yourself, um, in a position where you're comfortable and relaxed, even if you don't feel that way right now to just picture that's the P and then the eyes to inhale to like actually practice doing some deep breathing, even if it's just a couple. Um, and then the R is to release, let it go. 
and um, repeat scanning this time you're actually noticing those areas of tension and just even telling them you know turn off (laughs) (laughs) be done Um, and then um, the next eye is intention so like just to take a moment and really pause say like why am I taking this moment like who am I doing this for who can benefit from me just even taking a few seconds to myself like what impact can it have on me or others and then the, the, the T is for just thanks. I just really believe in gratitude and um, thanks for all things and just knowing that each moment is such a blessing. And even if we're only able to take 10 seconds out of our day, like let's just be thankful for that moment. So um, I can provide a link to that post that gives a little bit longer story about how I got into meditation and um, what I called training my mindfulness muscle because I was accused of having a very weak one. <laughs> That's what led me down the whole meditation mindfulness training path. Of course, being a physical therapist, you tell me something's weak. And I'm like, oh, I know what to do about that. Whoever said um, that to you, they knew you. <laughs> yeah, they did. They knew me, they knew me very well. So, um, anyway. Um, no, I'll, I'll definitely provide a link. I'll provide a yeah, link to it as well. I ended up really loving um what I used for my mindfulness training was the um, app Headspace. I don't know uh, if you've heard yes, of that one. Yes, I have. Um, and even though it's a subscription after the first 10, I think um, for me it was completely worth it. It's, um, it was, it was really, I needed to be handheld basically, you know, spoon fed like a baby. How do you do this? Because I could not even sit still. I remember being so intimidated the first time I was going to sit down and try, you know, 10 minutes of sitting there. I'm thinking you've got to be kidding me. Right. Um, (laughs) true story. I fell asleep for three hours afterwards. So I guess I needed to shut down. (laughs) I feel like that was a a good thing for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That tells you how hijacked like my life was. I mean, it was, it was, I was just so hijacked at that time. So, um, that's where it started, Okay. <laughs> but, um, that story is on the post as well. So yeah. I'll definitely provide a link, a link to that in the show notes. If... <laughs> and there's a couple of, I think I mentioned at least one free option as well. If anybody's looking for free options too. Perfect. Um, yeah, I know you guys are about. To, are you guys going to do a meditation month? Is that right? We are. No? Yeah, we're yeah. we're just currently deciding um, whether or not we do it while we're traveling or not, or we wait until we get home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of, I don't want to set ourselves up to fail while we're traveling. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we definitely, if if it's not next month, it'll be the month after. Oh, we'll great. Be doing, yeah, because I mean, I, I I get it, and I've practiced meditation a little bit just mostly as part of my yoga practice, which is mm-hmm. you know, at the moment we're doing a month of yoga. Um, but previous to that, it was a few times a week. I certainly wasn't every time, every day. Uh, and I really just lately, probably since the beginning of this year, I've really struggled with meditation to mm-hmm. let go. You know, my brain's just constantly flitting. And, yeah. um, you know, I, so I think that a challenge of sitting down and, and, and meditating even just for a couple of minutes every day for a month will be really beneficial for me because not dissimilar to you, I think that I certainly have probably a, a, <laughs> a weak mindfulness muscle at the moment. So. <laughs> well, that's what I, I think that's why I was so drawn to Headspace. And even if you only do the first 10 days, which are free, um, they had a few fantastic analogies because I'm the same way. I'm like, how am I going to sit here? My thoughts are always racing in and out of my head. And I think that was one of the beautiful things of it. And it's the only meditation app I found that really does this well is he basically teaches you that that's okay. Mm. Like let him, let him come, but let him go. And 
he, he, um, one of the cute little animations they have in the first 10 days kind of, um, compares it to standing by a busy highway where you watch the cars just come and go and to have your thoughts like that, that your thoughts just come and then they're out the other door. So just come and go. And, and that really spoke to me because I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to stop them from coming in and learning that that was okay, that that wasn't even maybe necessarily the purpose of meditating. The purpose was more to not get so fixated on them. Um, and that, that was almost like, I mean, that just opened the doors for me. I'm like, Oh, maybe I can do this. Like, (laughs) and, and, and realizing that it takes practice just like anything else. And I have some days that it doesn't go as well, but that's okay. I think also learning to give yourself the grace to have bad days, um, is, is an important lesson as well. So, um, he has some great analogies on the Headspace app. And I think that really helped me because I, I needed that handholding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't about to be able to just sit down and do it. Well, I think so yeah. many of us are in a similar place. You know, we, we're just so used to operating at 110% and mm-hmm. cramming every moment of every day full because, well, it's there and we should be doing something with it. So to really intentionally start stop and slow down and and just sit for a bit is is really counterintuitive uh to the way we kind of currently live so i think um that that's certainly something that's going to help a lot of people yeah i now find myself almost craving it like the middle Mm. of the afternoon hits and i'm like my body just wants to go lay down and meditate i still lay down i know that's not always recommended i still do okay (laughs) i might i have too much shoulder shoulder pain to sit up that long unsupported. So I lay down, I get comfortable, you know, prop myself up in the most supported posture. So my whole body can just relax. Um, I think that's part of knowing, know yourself, right? Know where you can be comfortable and relax. And so, um, I, you know, I lay down and I just find myself craving it by the middle of the afternoon if I haven't found time. Um, that's amazing. So it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's been a little over a year now, I guess. I'd probably say I usually am somewhere in the like four or five days a week range um, of meditating, but it's, um, now it's just part of the day. It's like, I want it. (laughs) So, so I guess before, um, sorry to interrupt you. Oh yeah, go ahead. (laughs) ahead. Um, before we kind of wrap up, I, I'm looking at my questions and, I, there's one that I really want to talk to you about, um, and sure. it's probably going to open up like a whole other conversation. So don't feel like <laughs> we need it. to talk for another hour or anything. But um, there's a, we've spoken in emails previous to this about the relationship between lifestyle and disease. Uh, it's more specifically the relationship between our fast-paced, hectic kind of lifestyle uh, and our and our health or disease. Can you kind of talk to me a little bit about the impact that this, I mean, I know, I know that that's basically what we've discussed the whole conversation, but more Mm -hmm. specifically the impact this is having on our health, you know, why, why we're feeling so (laughs) strung out and, you know, just, just across the board, generally, almost everyone I speak to is just strung out and exhausted because we're pushing and, and living at this really, really fast pace for a whole host of reasons. But, um, yeah, I'm just wondering if we could talk about that a little before we, we wrap up. Yeah, you're right. We could take that in a lot of different directions. <laughs> um, but I think speaking to, like, the general population, we just find ourselves um, almost like using 
our stress hormones as um, motivators to keep getting through the day. And it, it becomes a little bit addictive. Um, uh, that feeling you get like when you're, um, really trying to meet a deadline or, um, when you, you just feel under pressure, have to get something done. I mean, that kicks in all of our stress hormones and it, and it actually, I mean, it kind of temporarily feels good. It, mm. it gives you that, right? Like, um, you know, our bodies were built to, to handle stress, but we weren't built to handle it all the time every day. Yeah. And so when, um, you know, if you get in the habit of using, um, stress to basically motivate you to get through your day and it becomes more of a chronic thing where your system is just pumping out these hormones all the time. One, like I said, it's kind of addictive. It's like a little mini high, right? <laughs> um, you can almost feel that jilt. Like, you know, when it's, when you're watching a scary movie and it's kind of fun to be afraid and yes. you, you get scared and you like feel that burst of energy, right? Well, I mean, that's essentially what's going on when, when all these things are, um, our fight or flight mechanisms coming on and, um, those bursts of energies, you know, they, they, they feel good at least temporarily. And, um, so a lot of people are living on that. I mean, I know I was, I was just living on those feelings until the next thing that had to be accomplished and the feeling I'd get from that. And, um, and there's a lot, you know, a lot of links on how this is, this is bad for us. I mean, we talked some about like what excess cortisol can do just from a health perspective already, but you know, we forget there are other links as well between stress and our hectic daily lives because a lot of our hectic daily lives leads, leads to us eating, you know, poor nutrition. And, and we know for a fact that poor nutrition not only impacts us physically, but also psychologically. Um, and, you know, gosh, there's even links between poor nutrition and simple things like osteoarthritis. I mean, there's, you know, which is a PT problem that a lot of people come to me from. And, you know, a lot of people don't, um, don't realize these links or realize that a lot of our diseases these days, um, if we're not fueling our body well, we can't really expect our body to be as healthy as we want it to be. Um, so I loved, I loved listening to y'all's no sugar challenge. That was um, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and, um, I'm glad you guys made it. So I'm, I'm impressed to hear all the changes <laughs> and things that you were feeling too. But I think, I mean, it goes to show, I mean, when you're not, when you're eating poorly and you may not even realize how poorly you're eating, but when you start eating healthy and you say, Oh my gosh, I feel a lot better. It's wow. just amazing. Like it's you, phenomenal. You didn't even that. realize you could feel better. Yeah. Right? So I think that's where a lot of this comes from. I think a lot of us are kind of resigned to we just think this is how life is, unfortunately, um, and don't realize there are things we are that are actually under our control we can do. I mean, it's way easier to, to just not do them, honestly. So, um, you know, I think nutrition, there's a huge physical length. And then, I mean, if you think about diseases like autoimmune diseases, there's a lot of evidence that shows how much stress plays in, like, flares up flare-ups of autoimmune diseases. You'll see a lot of that pattern a lot, like people's um, – their flare-ups occur, you know, around stressful periods of their life. And, um, I've seen that in many patients and, um, that's a simple stress body connection right there. Um, you know, we, we just forget those, we forget those, um, you know, and to, to our modern day health system, unfortunately, doesn't always remind us of it either. Well, I mean, yeah, we kind so. of wait till we rumble, don't we? And then we go to the doctor yes. and say, well, what, what's going on? I, you know, I feel terrible. Yes. I can't get out of bed. Um, whereas, right. yeah. And I mean, I, I, again, this is completely anecdotal, but I'll, I have previously quite a number of times just pushed myself to 
beyond breaking point because, you know, I, I quote unquote have to. And then right. once the deadline has been reached or, you know, the exams finished or the, the you know, the paper handed in, I, then I crash. Um, and yeah. I, always, I always put that down to stress, but my body just hanging on <laughs> by the skin right. of its teeth until it, it doesn't have to anymore. And then I just crumble. And I think that that's, um, I mean, that's a really common kind of experience that I know a lot of people a lot of people share that we just push ourselves until either we can physically not go any further or, you know, the deadline is met and passed and then we, we have like the that little bit of freedom needed to just collapse. To at least recharge enough <laughs> to maybe try again. Yeah. But that's the problem. It's such a um such an addictive and um unhealthy. I mean it's really unhealthy cycle. I will say you know, I have no evidence to support this. This is just personal experience. <laughs> so I'm being a bad healthcare professional here, but you know, I will say since slowing down, like I have gotten sick a lot less, um, which is kind of nice. <laughs> I, I used to always have these weird stomach aches and, and growing up, that was a huge issue for me. And looking back, I now realize they were pretty much all stress related. Mm. Um, I, you know, I don't have any diagnosable GI issue. I just, my stress accumulated in a lot of stomach aches basically. And luckily those are, since I've started slowing down, those have pretty much disappeared. And, you know, if I feel it coming on, I like, I can know what it is. And I also know it as a warning sign that I've gotten, things have gotten out of control. And there's that awareness um, again, you know, you're able to tap exactly. into yeah, and, and put yeah. a stop to it before it becomes problematic in that, in that major kind of way. And that's probably why I think awareness has just made such a big difference in my own health, which is probably why I emphasize it a lot with others. I, I really, I'm looking to make people, you know, self-sufficient, not relying on me, you know, and part of that is them starting to gain an awareness of their body and their pain and knowing how to manage it on their own too. So that eventually, um, you know, of course they can check in with me if they need, but eventually, you know, let them release them to, uh, live their life, hopefully in a healthier way. So, um, I, I just think it's such a huge component and, um, putting those two, I hope, you know, some of the story will help other people maybe put those, connect those dots and, um, start to think about, you know, where in their life, maybe it's just, things just aren't working the way they are as good as they could. Mm. Um, so that's, I, I, I think we could take it even more directions, but those are <laughs> some of my immediate thoughts when you ask about the connection between our daily lives and and stress and health and how it's all connected. And I think as, as the years go on, the research is just going to keep showing even more connections that we can't even fathom right now. Because mm. I think, like you say, there's a lot, of, a lot of people like us who recognize that there is a link, but there may not be a diagnosis or there may not be, you know, the research right. to back it up. But it'll be fascinating right. to see, you know, what, what comes out. And that, there definitely in are research. in some cases, you know, you think of heart disease, we know stress increases your blood pressure and you got heart disease and high blood pressure is not good. It increases your risk of, you know, yeah, risk right. of stroke yeah. or other problems. So, I mean, we know some direct links and, um, so unfortunately, you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people who've been able to do things like even come off medication once they can get things like stress under control, which is great. And of course, not everybody can yes. I understand yes. there are some hereditary aspects as well, but, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, gosh, if we can, if we can make an impact in that way, um, we should, you know, we should be intervening and trying to hit all of our healthcare issues from multiple perspectives and not just, um, 
you know, not just taking your prescription, which still you should take your prescription if you have one, (laughs) but, but, you know, you can start to address, I mean, a lot of great studies out there on like heart disease and even seeing some reversal of heart disease from eating better and decreasing stress and thinking, man, okay, (laughs) it can, it can really be that simple. Um, but I say simple. Those are hard lifestyle changes yeah, too. Simple, simple, they not don't, necessarily easy. Simple, not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's where the catch comes. And that's where um, a lot of it with me working with clients is really figuring out their readiness for change. Like, are they ready? Do they want to make these, you know, changes? Are they wanting to take a more um, holistic approach to their health or not? So, mm. Again, I mean, I guess that ties it back really nicely into awareness as well and whether or not people are willing and ready and able to to make the shift right Mm. right i think um that you and i could have an entire other episodes worth of conversation about that kind of question (laughs) so i might have to ask you probably could (laughs) well i'd be happy to awesome but um in the meantime thank you so much for for talking with me and sharing some of your story and some of your your professional you know knowledge and and Also, I loved listening to you talk about your mindfulness, uh, you know, your mindfulness work just personally and how much that's helped you. It's been wonderful. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Christine. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for listening. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, podcast.